You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Everyone, this is Dirk Novell. Welcome to my podcast. Uh, I'm really excited um, to have Ken Perry on. Ken, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me. This is super exciting. Yeah. So Ken, real quick, a little bit about Ken. So I've been in the mortgage industry about 21 years. And in our world, there's a lot of compliance. And typically, and I don't want to say what Ken does is boring at all because he makes it very exciting, but we have to get licensed. We have to be up to date, knowing code to make sure we're doing the right stuff. Um, But Ken is one of those guys that when I first... um, participated in one of his training events, I was like, wow, I did not expect this. He has such a skill set in making something exciting and fun, actually. And usually, you know, I've done these before where they're not, they're very long days. And so Ken is a guy that I really wanted to interview because he's very dynamic. But when you talk about zone of genius, being in your flow, he's super funny, loves music. Uh, He jokes around, He, he incorporates who he is like what's innate in his job. And it's very authentic. And it's really what I hope for young adults and people choosing careers, because if you can do what Ken has done, I think you're gonna experience a much more joyful life and much more success. And he is one of the best at what he does. So I'll stop rambling. Ken, welcome. And then maybe you could tell the audience a little bit about in your own words, what it is you do. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's uh, what is it I do? I do a I do too many things um, right now. So I love the whole concept of your podcast is so awesome because I know what I'm great at and I know what I suck at and I know what I'm trying to get better at. And so, um, but the bulk, like my favorite thing that I do, I fly around the country talking and making friends. And so I've made a living uh, flying around. You know, it, it, initially it was about training people on how to be loan officers. So taking somebody from college and introducing them to the mortgage industry and then teaching them how to read a credit report and appraisal report and all those things that you need. That actually wasn't initially into compliance. That wasn't a thing. And I started the company 20 years ago. So it's 2003. um, And then it, I was asked to speak at an event. I just started this like basic small training company. And I was asked to speak at an event and I spoke on a compliance law called the do not call laws, right? Telemarketing. And I researched it, delivered it, and it ended up being a stand-up comedy routine for an hour and a half. And they learned, but they also laughed the whole time. And I got to be me in front of an entire audience. And and I got pulled into another room right after that because the speaker had called in. Uh, they couldn't make it. And they're like, do you have anything on identity theft? And I was learning to be a hacker. And I was like, yeah. And so I went and did a stand-up comedy routine in the, build- in the uh, office next door in Bellevue, Washington. And I, you know, I walk over to this other conference room and I do or I, I, um, um, seminar room and I did a seminar there on identity theft off the, the top of my head from my research. And I was like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And so my favorite thing that I do is I go around talking, but we also, as a company, do tons of videos. We do, we basically make movies for a living. Um, and then we have a platform of software technology that we sell that becomes people's intranet. They use that to train all of their people and all of their companies. So. That's kind of the, the, the bulk of what I do is all of those things. I love it. Um, again, I'll say it again. Like you've made something maybe not initially super exciting, um, actually exciting and fun. 
And like every year I have to go through this process and I will tell you, it's, it's impressive what you've done. So I want to get kind of in the weeds a little bit about the day and your week and what it looks like. But before I do that, I want to go backwards a little bit and um, get an idea. Like, I think you lived in Colorado, then you moved to Pacific Northwest and you were actually a loan officer for a while, correct? Yeah, I grew up in California in the East Bay and then I went to college. So I went to junior college in uh, Pleasant Hill, California, a place called DVC. I did three years at a community college, uh, getting a 2.33 GPA. Uh, I was a 2.67 GPA in high school, never really liked school. And then I transferred to school in Colorado and got a 4.0 from then on because I was taking classes that actually made sense for me. Um, you know, I had gotten through all the garbage that they make you take. Sorry. Uh, am I allowed to say that? Uh, anything, I don't want to take say. another, I don't want to take another English class. I don't care. Yeah. I love history. I don't need to study it and it's not part of who I am. And I, um, I'm a big math guy, but I hate geometry. Like they're just the basic general study stuff. I, I didn't attach myself to, um, and I actually worked for the police department for three years and, uh, back in, um, high school through junior college. And I was going to be the next cop at 21. And I had this teacher who, uh, when I was 20, pulled me aside. He's a speech teacher. I just took a speech class as an elective. And he's like, you have a gift for speaking. And nobody had ever, I grew up not being told I had a lot of gifts. Like my parents really, really supportive, but most of the things that they expect you to perform at in high school, I, I didn't have a lot of success with school. And so for a teacher to give me a compliment was pretty rare. Um, and that teacher said, you know, you could do something with speaking. He put me on the debate team. I quit the police department. I decided all I want to do is talk. And that one teacher changed my entire life. And he passed away a few years after I graduated college, but he knew, like we all told him, like all he did is change lives. And by, by finding that thing in somebody and going, that's not, that's not normal. Like that's a unique gift that you should be using all the time. And I knew right then, like communication, I should switch my degree to communication, uh, graduated with a degree in communication. Um, and then I became a loan officer because a buddy of mine was a loan officer or was a title rep. And he's like, you want to make a bunch of money? I'm like, sure. Because nobody was listening to me do business consulting yet. That was my goal was to consult with companies on communication styles. And I'm like, yeah. And so I took a job as an LO and did that for, uh, for a little while. And then um, I was their top producing loan officer and my boss came up and goes, hey, you're bored. And I was like, yep. And I, I mean, I was killing it. And he's like, no, you, he, said, he goes, I go, how do you know I'm bored? And he said, because I see you just spending time with other people teaching them how to do it. And I go, yeah, I love that. He's like, but you love it more than doing loans. I go, I do. And he goes, how would you like to make half the money that you make right now, but have twice the enjoyment in your job, have twice the fulfillment? And I go, I'm in. I've never been about money. I'm, I've always been about teaching. And so I, I took the job as their trainer, rolled out 24 branches for the company um, and loved it. And then transferred. So that was back in the Bay Area. I moved back to the Northwest or I moved up to the Northwest because we just really love it up here or did. And so I was like, this place is freaking amazing. I want to move there. And uh, my boss said, because I was going to take a sales job as an account executive for a lender. And he goes, cool, you're going to do that. And you'll probably be really good at it, but you're going to get bored again. And when you do, just remember your heart is training and your heart is teaching people and speaking. And I'm like, okay, I'll remember that. He sure enough, he was right. I came up here as an AE, but all I want to do is sit down with brand new loan officers and help them be better at their job so that they could be better for their family. 
Um, and finally, in 03 is when I'm like, I can't anymore just do sales. I need to teach. And I quit my job making so much freaking money. And I think I made $4,000 my first year in the business in 2003. I just found my W-2s or my tax documents. And yeah, I had made a lot of money in January and February, and then I just gave it all up. Um, I, I love what you're saying. I want to go get into that a little bit. We talked a little prior to the call about ADHD and and I think that's something, and, and the reason I want to talk about that, and I also want to kind of get in high school and the mind of Ken and like, were there signs? Like, were you a funny guy? Like I, what I want kids and young adults to do is pay attention to the things that they're probably not thinking about in terms of career. Cause I think when you come out of school, you, you know, my dad was all about money and comparing people living on the lake. And so I came out thinking I had to make a lot of money. And I, I never at all thought about like what Dirk was uniquely gifted to do. And I, I, I'd like to go there because I, I don't know if you have advice. And I do want to hear about how you were in high school and you're talking to people and if that those were signs that were evident at an early age. But is there advice on you could give to help people kind of get more out of their head, into their heart, understand who they are. Cause I don't think those are things people do naturally, but I think they're crucial in terms of choosing your life work. Yeah. Um, so much there. Uh, these, so I wasn't diagnosed ADHD. I was, um, you know, we didn't really have a lot of that diagnosis back then. All we had is, um, you know, not good at school. I mean, the, the usual class clown, if you just focus more, like all these things that I'm not, I was being told that I had to become, and I didn't have the tool of, you know, there, I just didn't have any tools back then. And so, um, what I, what I did and, and people like me typically do is we realize that we're not going to be successful in grades unless our teacher likes us. So I knew early on, I could make friends really easily. I loved people. I've always loved people. And, and I realized early on that if I made friends, they wouldn't judge me as harshly in grades. And so if I can get my teacher to like me, then they'll give me flexibility when it comes to turning things in. They'll, they'll, you know, grade me with the thought of like, I don't want to fail this kid because he's a good kid. And so really my, a lot of my ex, my, my communication style came from just wanting to win people with my personality because I knew I couldn't win them with my studying and focus. And so I learned early my magic had to be in something that wasn't typically, um, you know, on the grade sheet. And so I can tell you if, if anybody is listening to this and has dealt with what I've dealt with, like that creates magic because sadly, you know, it's, it's not good that I wasn't, you know, my skills weren't honored as a kid, of course. Um, but also it created something in me where I have this ability now that I gained by not being good enough in another area. So I think identifying in yourself, like this is, I'm noticing I hate this. Well, you're probably not ever going to be great at that. Like there's things I'll never be great at. And, and, and saying, okay, I'm probably not gonna. Today, 2023, when we're recording this, today there's like options, right? We, we now know enough where we're like, wait, there are things that I can do that may be able to create success. The problem is most kids at that age, you know, pick up a vice or they, you know, this, these are the kids that start drinking early. These are the kids that are um, where drugs become a thing because you're chasing that, you know, rush. 
Um, and so getting, you know, away from that and just going, Hey, this is who I am and being able to catch that early and going, what is who I am? You know, where does that fit in the world? Cause sales, anybody with ADHD is going to be like advantaged in sales and there's different styles of ADHD. There's, you know, but I mean, we're used to making friends. And so that's an easy thing. Like when I talk about ADHD at mortgage seminars, half the room's like, yeah, what do you want? I'm like, oh, I'm on methylphenidate. What do you want? Five minutes. Like it's, it's so funny because in sales, you'll see a lot of it. In leadership, you'll see a lot of it. But the trick is catching it early and then, and then focusing on, you know, what can I use this for instead of, and getting over what's called, it's RSD, which is re rejection sensitive dysphoria, which is, um, most kids like me have been told that they're not good enough or that they're bad thousands of times more than anybody not like me. And so we start getting used to hearing negative feedback um, and it gets into our heads where it's harder for us to hear negative stuff later because we spent our whole life receiving that feedback. And so, um, so the quicker you can know, Hey, it's, I'm actually okay. Like I, I have other gifts. Um, and if, if you're a parent listening to this, the quicker you can teach your kids the magic that they have that isn't graded on, the better, because it's, you know, it's better to focus on those positives and get through those things. Cause that's how you find, you know, your real, your real gift. I love this, man. I mean, kind of dealing with this right now on a personal level and, um, yeah, it makes me think about parenting differently. So I really appreciate that, that story. Uh, you know, I, a question I have, I'm just listening to you and I'm thinking about you're, you're, a, I mean, I, I see you on social media, we have a lot of mutual friends. You are a very driven dude. Um, and you're, you take it to a level, like it's very impressive. I guess my question is like, are you enjoying the ride? Like, and if so, when did that start happening? Cause I, I don't know, like, is this something that you're so driven to like, maybe eliminate those voices in your head with the little, the little can inside you? Or was there a time, like you mentioned in your bio, I think it was 2011 that you went somewhere like an event or a conference, it changed your life. But I guess I'm curious, those voices of I'm not good enough, or I'm not smart mm -hmm. enough. When did those start to get quiet? Oh, they don't. Um, they actually, they're, I shouldn't say that. My coach, Bill Hart, um, who was my coach for a lot of, a few years, um, he made me call all of our clients, the CEOs and executives of our clients. So we have a, hundreds of, of people that use our system. So he made me call them and, and have calls with them just to have a conversation. And I was really afraid of talking to CEOs because I have this imposter syndrome where I think that they're all better than me. And I don't, I've been a CEO for 20 years. Like I started this company and I still think all CEOs are better than me. And so I started calling them and it was so weird because they were like, oh my gosh, Ken Perry, you're calling me. And I was like, what? Like, I didn't see it. So I still had that like assumption that everybody, you know, knows that I'm not as good as, or that they'll find out that I'm not as good as I think I am. So it, that never goes away. The, um, but it, it started to get better when I started making those calls. And then the other thing is I did, I had this one, you're going to love this. I did this seminar one time and it was a two day seminar. And after the, like the first day, the vibe is different and it's a public seminar. So anybody can go, but we had two companies mainly there. Right. And, uh, the, I didn't know anything about the company situation. Right. But I did notice that it was a much, I mean, I'm speaking for eight hours, two days in a row. They're not nice, the, the students. 
And I'm like busting out my best stuff. Like I'm firing on all cylinders. They're not laughing. And they're like looking at each other, like, like whispering about me. And I was like, these people hate me. They all hate me. Like I just, it attached to all of my childhood fears of like, everybody would not like me. And I went home that night and I go, man, and my wife, Mandy, I was like, they all hate me and I'm not going to go back. And she's like, you have to go back because you have a second day to teach. And I'm like, I can't, they hate me. They'll be happy if I don't go back. They don't even want to see me there. And she goes, is it possible this isn't about you? And I'm like, what's not about me? Everything's about me. That doesn't make sense. And uh, she's like, I bet there's something else going on. So I go back the second day and I teach and it was hard. It was so hard. And the end of the day, this guy walks up and he goes, do you want to know what's going on in the room? And I go, yes. Well, half the room worked. They all worked for the same company. And half the room split off that company after a lawsuit over some management issue and they sued that company. So half the room just sued the other half of the room. They hadn't seen each other in a long time. And this is their first time coming back and seeing each other. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it wasn't about me. Like I still look at people in the room and I'm like, I just want to make that person happy because they're not happy. It's still there. But it gets easier the more you start realizing that not everything's about you. And I think some of that comes with age. I think it gets better as years go on and I start getting more confident in my own knowledge and my own you know, abilities, but it's hard and that never gets super easy. Yeah, I think, what is it? The four agreements, don't make assumptions. Uh, one I just of the started four, reading that. Yeah, I mean, I make assumptions a lot and that's a great example um, and I, it's funny. Cause like, I'm feeling my wife and I call it dumb chills. Like somebody's up a comedian or something, and maybe nobody's laughing. And then I get really embarrassed for them. Like, I want to like say something to take the energy off them to, you know, I'm kind of like always trying to stick up for someone. Um, and I can only imagine how, how I would feel, uh, you know, like I've never been a big public speaker, but I think if I was speaking from the heart, I'd be fine. Mm -hmm. um, but I can only imagine how hard that was. And I commend you for going back. You kind of had to, but what yeah. a great, what a great lesson. Um, what happened in, okay. So you referenced 2011 and mm -hmm. I, I was thinking about Jerry Maguire and I love movies and music like you do and you know, how he had this epiphany and then, you know, all hell broke loose and his world blew up. But, um, the reason I want to bring this up is because like you started as a loan officer and I think too, the advice for young adults is sometimes you got to just take action and you never mm -hmm. know where this is going to lead you. And I think reading your story, it's a great example, like being an, an LO and maybe seeing a need for what you do led you to create the knowledge coop. But before we get into that, what happened in 2011? Did you go to a, a conference and yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's funny. We didn't, you know, 11 was hard, right. For everybody. And we were you know, 08. 09, 10, 11, you know, the industry didn't recover for a while, nor did the economy. And so during that time, we were, we didn't have a bunch of money, you know, we were struggling to get through. And 2011, I kept seeing this thing for a conference called DevLearn. It kept showing up on my, like they were retargeting ads. I didn't know that back then we didn't know what retargeting was. So I was just like, it must be a sign that it keeps showing up every time I open the internet. And uh, they, they had sent out like one marketing thing. I clicked. And so they retargeted me and I just kept going, that's, I'm supposed to be there. And I don't know why, but there's something there for me. And so funny that had I not gone, I don't know where I'd be right now, but I went to this conference. We didn't do any online training at the time. I had started doing video in 2010 
So we were trying to get online off the ground. And I went and I met this guy there who had a social learning technology, which was a video that you could send to your company back and forth. And I was like, you know, it, 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 at the time, the industry's reeling. Associations had dropped members like crazy and nobody was keeping the industry together and trying to create a place where they could all learn at the same spot. And so I, I met this guy. I'm like, I want to do this. And I came back and my then business partner, Frank, I was like, I want to do this. Like, I want to create more instead of just being like a compliance training company. I want to give people a place where they can go and talk to each other, but also get video that they can send to each other. They can, you know, I can pump in training that's just like get up every day and, and, and go after it type training. And so that really was, it was the moment that I realized, you know, we needed to do something different. And it was in this social learning sphere. The funny thing is um, I hadn't been diagnosed ADHD yet. And so um, one of my people at the time, when I went to roll this out, I'm like, this is what we're going to do. She quit. She's like, this is just another one of your ideas. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. It's just an idea. And I'm so tired of you taking us in new directions. And she was gone. And I was like, but I believe this is the one, you know, I have, I have tons of ideas. And so um, she left because she was like, I can't. And she gave me a list that actually ended up getting me my ADHD diagnosis um, because I was like, what is this list? And my uh, wife's aunt was like, oh, that's the symptoms of ADHD. And I'm like, yeah, okay. okay. And so <laughs> But that was like a pivotal moment because I was trying to get something done, but my entire past had made it difficult for me to get people on board to get that thing done. And then we launched it. And that's most of our revenue as a company right now is based on the software platform that we launched back in 2012. Um, that has been, I mean, it's completely made my life different. I love it. So, I mean, maybe the lesson to the people listening right now watching is listen to that voice. You know, I think, uh, I had a guest on last week and we we're talking about how oftentimes the people closest to you want you to have a nice, secure life, safe. I mean, they want you to be happy, but sometimes they're not the best people to listen to because they want security and all that. But sometimes you have this inner voice, this inner desire to do something different. And sometimes you just got to go for it. Sounds like you went for it. Yeah, it was a calculated risk. I don't take risks that aren't calculated. Like I, I'm not a risky guy, but I can also go, I feel like there's something here. Like, and, and, and part of that, my brain is unhinged from reality, right? I don't think in reality terms. I think of like, what would be cool and fun and a fun adventure. I chase adventure everywhere I go. And so if something's like, I bet I can make a difference. I bet I could change the world. Like I'm all in um, I love on it. whatever that thing is. I love it. So, you know, like I said earlier, not everybody's going to probably start a compliance company, a social learning company <laughs> around mortgage content. But let's talk to the audience a little bit about, I mean, training, um, self-help. Uh, I mean, there's lots of words we can throw in terms of what you provide. What have you learned? I mean, you know, somebody could want to train somebody on pottery or clouds or uh, farming. I mean, you know, my wife and I have a farm. Like, whether it's compliance for mortgages or whatever, what have you learned about starting a company that's actually providing content to help people become better at what they, and safer and provide better content for their clients? Like what are some of the things that maybe surprised you that you didn't see coming? Um, so it's so funny. My daughter just wrote this paper. She's at Boise State. She wrote a paper on the fallacy of status quo and like how, we don't really want to do something different. We want to do basically what's already been done, even when what's what's different might be better. 
Um, and they've done all these studies on it, even with doctors, where it's like, you know, this thing works 80% of the time, but this might work 90% of the time. And they're like, nope, 80 is good, right? They go for whatever they know. Um, I have learned time and time again and, and really led the way in this training and, and the way that we deliver training doesn't have to suck. And going with status quo, where we could have just gone a little bit better than our competitors, you know, our competitors kind of phoning in a lot, you know, they've training is typically, and you said this earlier, training is typically boring. Just like, it's more about the trainer than it is about the attendee. It's like, look what I built for you. And you remember those PowerPoint, like few, 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 few stuff would fly in. And like when trainers were building that, it was about the trainer. It really wasn't about the experience the user had. It was just like, look what I can do with my cool flashy things. Um, the way it's always been done is usually not the best way to do it. And so most people will try to replicate, like if you're going to compete in a space like training, you go, well, what does that mean? Well, I need PowerPoint and I need to be able to deliver through articulate in a SCORM file. And like, because everybody else does it the same way, they're all competing on their level. There's always a chance that you can compete on a level they've never been seen before. And so we're always chasing how good we were last year. And our competitors are always chasing how good we were 10 years ago because they're nowhere near it. And so the faster you can get above the others, like in a new way and, and the way, you know, always based on the user, right? We're watching people watch YouTube videos and going, why are you still training in one hour webinars that don't need to be an hour? Like, why are we doing six, five minute videos and delivering that? Because people will watch that, right? And now I wish somebody would watch a five minute video. Now it's 30 seconds, but but go with what's right now instead of holding on to status quo stuff and going, let's just do what people have done because they're already doing that. Like the world doesn't need another one of those. It needs something to move it forward. Yeah, I mean, the world doesn't need another one of those. You're definitely not one of those. And that's why I was so excited to have you on is like you do it different than I, and I've been, I've, I'm not going to mention who, but I've been to many before you like, and it is very different. So you certainly shaked it up and I love it as far as like, like, again, somebody's interested in training, organizational psychology, whatever they're, what's the hardest part about, like, you have this attention, you have a lot of interest, you're very creative. Um, mm -hmm. Usually I've seen a lot of times that might be an issue for being a business owner, uh, you know, <laughs> recruiting, uh, P&L, all that kind of, like, what's the mm -hmm. hardest part about running a business for you? Oh my gosh, that's such an easy answer. Um, so the, there's a book called Traction that talks about a visionary and an integrator, and every organization should have both. I am a visionary. That's all I am. I'm not an integrator. I do not follow up. I do not. I know exactly what my skills aren't, and that's follow up, spreadsheets. Like I like looking at a spreadsheet, but I don't want to ever do one. Um, so knowing my weaknesses, the hardest part is getting somebody to match my visionary and be able to lead and hold people accountable and do all the, the hard stuff, in my opinion the hard stuff about running a business where as like for other people, they're good at that. And I do the hard stuff, the visionary, the out there, you know, speaking and doing those things, hands down, the hardest part of running a business for me has been getting somebody to stand beside me and be that integrator that can do all of those things and stay lockstep with the vision um, because I can be a lot and having somebody be able to, to deal with that, but also move us forward and know when to tell me, no and know when to go cool we're gonna do it and here's how we're gonna do it you can it that way and again and plug those things in that's the hardest part because i have a lot of of, of uh, skill vacancies areas that i'm just not who i need to be if i want to run the, a successful company 
I get the feeling like when you have a, a company meeting, you're you're okay with somebody maybe telling you something that I don't want to say disturbs your peace, but you seem like the kind of person that is um, really easy to get along with. Is that accurate or am I off? No, no, I'm, yeah, I'm super easy to get along with, I feel like. Yeah, and I think that's really important. Like, I could see that in your videos. I, I feel like everyone mm -hmm. has a voice. Like, your videos are hilarious. And some of the guys and gals you have, including yourself, are funny as hell. Like, I'm like, these guys are, should be actors. And I'm like, I, it's, it's really, um, again, I keep going back. What you've done is amazing. I, I do want to ask you a little bit about um, the, not to dwell on the ADHD, but like, again, I'm, I'm speaking to young adults that whether it's that or something else, an introvert, they're shy, they're not comfortable. Like, I think there are opportunities in companies based on who you are. So sometimes people might avoid certain careers because they don't feel like they have the gifts or the skill sets. Uh, in, your, in the training world, I mean, you can be a presenter, a speaker, but you mm -hmm. can also be someone who might want to shut the doors and work on curriculum and content. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. can you speak to the different skill sets that might comprise your company or your industry? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so the best thing you can do in my, in a position like mine, right? The hardest thing to do is to do all of the stuff yourself when you're not good at all the stuff, right? The best thing to do is get other people that you surround yourself with who are amazing at those things. And so like Rebecca, my chief of staff, um, we're getting the mortgage nerd, you know, Denise. Uh, just a great example. Um, our podcast lessons from last time. I, I said to Rebecca, as I was walking by her, Hey, let's get, you know, this Denise, the mortgage nerd onto the podcast. And then I walked away and I looked at my calendar and she's on the podcast for like two weeks from now. And that's because we have such a great working relationship. She doesn't want to be me and I definitely don't want to be her, but I can't be me without her being her. And those types of fits where I've got, um, we have a guy that we can give, I suck at design. I can't design anything. I have zero imagination. Like even the thing right behind you, finding your zone of genius. That to me is, I have no idea how somebody did that. Like that's, it might, you know, who knows? I, I think it looks beautiful, but I don't know how to do that. And so we write words on a PowerPoint or a keynote we use, we give them to Tyler and they come back magically beautiful. Like, the best thing is when you get people who are gifted and uniquely gifted at that thing that I don't have to go, oh, Tyler, I wish you would have done this with this color because he's already done everything perfect and better than I would have done. And that's where as you're building a business as quickly as possible, surrounding yourself with people that are better. Um, as a loan officer, I never took, um, I took an application and handed it off and never touched it again. And a, a processor who was, was amazing because if, if they like, asked me to follow up for conditions, I don't follow up. Like it's not within my skill set yet. Somebody else is perfect. And the problem is when people try to be something they're not, when they're like, that's where most speakers fail. They're sucky speakers. So why are you standing up in front of a room if you can't entertain a crowd and you're just going to read me PowerPoints? Like you shouldn't be up there. Like go create the PowerPoint and get somebody else to come and communicate that or be on a panel because panels are way easier. You're just there for your knowledge. But the worst thing you can do is to get into something that is taking you outside of your natural gifts because you will spend so much time and energy trying to be good at something. And my favorite quote is, you can't judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree. And if, if you're judging me on my follow-up and you're judging me on my holding people accountable because I like people too much to hold them accountable, I'm going to fail you. Um, 
That's why I did not do well in high school because you're judging me based on my ability to do something that I'm not gifted to do. But the more I can be a fish, I will wow you as a fish. I'll be the best fish you've ever seen. Just grade me on my ability to swim. And that's the thing where, yeah. I love that, man. I mean, not to, not to get into my story, but you know, I've struggled as a mortgage guy. I've done well and I'm good at it. I have like Brahim, our mutual friend, my coach, mm-hmm. you know, it's a popularity contest. And if people like you and respect you, the people with the most friends typically wins. But mm-hmm. sometimes I struggle with being me in this industry because like a lot of times it comes down to rate and fees and mm-hmm. you know, I want to be a fish. But like mm-hmm. sometimes being Dirk in the mortgage industry, I, I can only be 60% of me or 55% mm-hmm. of me. But I will say life is exhausting when you're running a race that you don't really want to win. And it's okay mm-hmm. if you don't want to win. Maybe you're happy getting two weeks a year to go fishing or whatever. But for those of you that are trying to be good at what you do, different, have joy, feel good about yourself, pay attention to what's inside and what you were born in, in this world with because those are the skills and the passions that are going to differentiate you from the pack. And I see guys in my industry and gals who are like just so different and they mm-hmm. love what they do. Dude, I can tell you, I went on a journey and this will be a good lesson for people. I flew down and hung out for three nights. I stayed with Dave Savage at his house and then went over to Malibu and stayed a night with Tim Brahim. Um, my goal there for about a month, what I wanted to do is get to get in in hang out with people that are where I want to be and then find out how they are enjoying it and would they have done something different. And so it's not just like, I don't want to be Tim Brahim for sure, right? That dude is more Zen than I think I can, I can imagine with my, what goes on in my brain. But I also know that Tim's done some things that I could really adapt for myself. And, and so, so for anybody who wants to like get into something, go find the people that are best at it and meet with them and ask them questions. Most people are open to answering questions, right? Uh, meet and ask them questions and go, and, and then don't just go, because I want to be this person, because there's nobody, you should be you, right? And so you learn all that. And then I journaled it like crazy. I wrote out, I journaled after every single night with Dave. Um, I started doing all these different things. Like I started meditating more after Savage showed me the acupressure mat. I now meditate on a spiked mat, but I took the pieces that are like um, Savage's the way that guy runs a family, like the way he connects with his wife and kids, I have always been, you know, inspired by. And so taking those things and being like, all right, this is what I want. And then piece together, like, this is me, or this is the best version of me based on what I bring into the the scene and based on what I see working on other people. And that's the best thing you can do to figure yourself out. But I think a lot of people want to be somebody that's like, you should be you. And that's not always going to be, it's not always going to get you to, you know, don't try to be Grant Cardone. I see people try to do that all the time. It's like, dude, there's one. And I don't, I don't know. I, I just don't think a lot of people have that, what it takes to, to do something like that. You know, that's, this advice is amazing. I, I've struggled with this and being with Tim, Tim, I think I was, me and a guy named Michael Shane were Tim's two first clients. And then, you know, I became part of his masters. And so I'd hang out. Some of my best friends are guys like Josh Metal and Craig Strent and Ryan Grant and, and for so long, I would show up and I would be like, whoa, like, I can't hang with this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just a pot smoking dude in the Northwest that, you know, <laughs> like still selling option arms. I mean, like, I'm kidding, but I couldn't, I mean, and for a long time, like 
I kept thinking, how do I be Josh? How do I be RG? Mm-hmm. How do I be? But you know what? I'll never be them. Mm-hmm. I just, you got to be yourself. And I think once mm-hmm. you realize that, then the beauty happens. Um, you know, one of the things I, before I forget that I want to ask you is in every career, in every job, there's non-negotiables. There's things that, and it's all individual that we need out of career. Like for me, it's freedom. You know, I mm-hmm. coach my kids sports. I wake up, I go to bed with them. I've never missed a birthday and never missed a holiday. I mean, I used to work with um, Mark Cuban. I worked at Yahoo and I travel a lot and I'm like, no way. When I have a family, I ain't missing a friggin' day. What are the non-negotiables for you? Like I can guess what I think a few of them are, but it mm-hmm. sounds like you're not motivated by money, even though you might like mm-hmm. money, but making an impact, like you love to help people improve. Like what are the two or three things that you get out of your career that are like, you must have? My non-negotiables non-negotiable, in my career, uh, one is adventure. Like it has to be an adventure. So I've flown to all but, I've spoken in almost all the states. I've flown to all but two states. I've spent time there. It's an adventure for me to go do those things. I have to, I can't be tied down to, you know, the same thing every single day. So an adventure in that, like what I'm doing, you know, traveling is an adventure, but also within the company, it has to feel like an adventure for us. And when I, when we hire new people, I'm like, welcome to the adventure. Like this is, we're, we're doing some exciting things. So it has to be exciting. Um, it has to be fun. Like if I, I've always said, if traveling stops becoming fun, we're all screwed because I fly around a lot, doing a lot of things for us. And, um, and so it has to be fun. And then we have to change lives. Like I don't want to do something and walk away and have, there have been no difference. And it's so funny because when I, I do a lot of speaking in the Northwest, right. And just because that was where we started back in 03. Um, when I go to like, I'll be in Oklahoma city in September talking about RESPA, which is just a law, right? If I talk about RESPA in the Northwest, these people have known me for a long time. They know what the deal is, right? And they're, they're correcting each other on it. Like we've created a good environment here. When I go into another spot, they're like, wait, what do you mean we can't give $25 for a referral, you know, gift? And it's like, how are, that's like step one to understanding it. And so when I go places where I've been a lot, they get it, which means I made a difference, which means it worked. And I don't want to leave this industry the same way I found it. And, and when that works, like I have to feel like I'm making a difference. And, you know, so that's, that's a non-negotiable. Yeah. I mean, you definitely have, I was thinking about, you know, Tim Sanders. I love Tim Sanders. He's my favorite author. So Tim, I used to work with Tim uh, at a company called broadcast, broadcast.com. And then we were bought by Yahoo, but he, you know, he, he didn't write the book, but I think he talked a lot about the book called the experience economy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was, but I, you provide an experience. So I was thinking about like what, you know, knowledge coop and Ken, like that's what you do. Like, yes, you Mm -hmm. educate, you help us, you know, protect ourselves, but you provide an experience. And I think anyone watching, you have to do that on in an authentic way. It's not a fake experience. It's, it's your mm-hmm. experience that you're rapping, you're singing, you're dancing, like uh, your jokes, you're likable. Like that's the thing. That's the magic that, that you bring, I think to the table. And you're also smart. I'm not saying that you're just all creative. Like you have mm-hmm. a lot of, but I think that's really, really an important point. Cause if you're boring and you don't provide an experience, then good luck. Yeah. It's not going to work out. Um, and, and really it's what we're looking always for is unicorns, right? If you find it, you're a unicorn, 
then you can go a long way. And I sat down, we had this kid, Robert, who was on our Lego robotics team that I coached. Um, my son was on it in, in high school or like middle school. And in middle school, this kid, Robert joined and he was presenting, like he was able to code on the robot. And, but then when we went to competitions, he would be presenting and just had this way with people. And I was like, this kid's a freaking unicorn. And most people that code can't communicate as well. Most people who communicate really well don't like coding. And I, 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 I was like, dude, this guy's a unicorn. I hired him the second I could. So he's works for us, has worked for us like a year and a half, two years. And I keep sitting him down going, you're not normal. And that makes you so freaking valuable. So be as abnormal as you can possibly be. Like find the little tweaks of like, I have this, but I also have this. Don't fight to do more of this or do more of that. Figure out a way to make those two things mesh. Yeah. And my gosh, that's when you, that's when you kill it. Like the fact that I can rattle off laws in a seminar, most people that rattle off laws aren't funny. And most people that are funny would not read a law. I love it because I can hyper-focus. It's another ADHD gift. I can sit down with a law and read it for four hours and have the best time of my life because I can hyper-focus on it. I pull everything out of it. I remember everything. And then I can bring it back in a, in a comedic way. Nobody does that. And so the more you can find that piece, then, I mean, then the sky's the limit. Like I told Robert, you're going to run this company someday because that doesn't exist. And so find those things. If you've got those two things that you're like, you feel like they are against each other. If you can merge them, um, you know, one of my, my good buddies was uh, an engineer who had a sense of humor and a personality and a great golf game. And he became the CEO of his engineering firm because nobody does that. So find those unique combos and you can go crazy. Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, growing up, like feeling not normal, it's not often safe. You know, like, right. so, and like Ken and I have experience in life. We've had successes, you know, red light, green light, we've had ups and downs. So we have the beauty of life experience. And if you're watching this and you feel like you're different or you don't fit in, then good for you because mm-hmm. that's the, that's the stuff that's going to separate you and differentiate you in the future. And I know that right now it doesn't feel safe or you want to fit in, but um, trust me, that's good stuff. Like Robin Williams says, mm-hmm. that's the good stuff. I think he said mm-hmm. that in Goodwill Hunting. So we're winding down, and I always ask this question, um, and I know it can be a long conversation, but maybe your five or four minute version. How how is AI? I mean, I'm fascinated by AI. I'm probably more on the alarmist spectrum because mm-hmm. um, I, I I'm scared of it to be honest. Because I feel like right now, like they're children and they're learning mm-hmm. from us. They're watching mm-hmm. and they're they're paying attention. And real quick, I was watching a podcast where they said a moron has an IQ of 70. Uh, Einstein was like 160. And the smartest person ever was like 210, which is 3x of a moron. And they were saying AI is at 1000x. So it's going so quick. We don't even know where it's going. Like we can't, we can't follow the path. What is your take on training and your industry? Like, are you worried about AI or are you actually welping it, well, uh, embracing it? You know, that's a great question. We could do an hour on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm only going to say what I can say in a couple of minutes because I have a meeting in four minutes. So uh, AI is going to change the entire world. And the more I get it, like people are not willing to talk about it because they're scared of it. But if you're scared of it, you should be stepping back and, and seeing what you can do to put emotion aside and look at it for what it is. Yeah, It's, it's scary. Like absolutely. If it doesn't scare you, then you're not paying any attention, right? 
but it also has some opportunities in it, like the beginning of the internet, right? So there's, there's a lot there that's going to be awesome if you can leverage it. In training, anything that's written training just got completely punted, right? I can write a training class in about 10 minutes using ChatGPT. I just did it for an MI class. Not a problem. Delivering it, bringing my humor, my experience, that's what I have that AI doesn't, and that's so far. Um, and that's going to win, right? Stand-up comedy will still exist. Live music will still exist. But everybody should be looking at the role that I'm playing right now or the job I'm trying to go into. If you're a journalism major, probably don't do that um, because journalism's gone. Like we're basically going to curate future AI. So, cause it's better than we are at that. So figure out if, if AI beats you at what you're trying to do for a living, you shouldn't do that for a living. You should go find something else. That's not going to get beat up by AI. Like my wife's a therapist. Awesome. That still wins over AI. Uh, and they've got some bad, John Oliver did a whole thing on, on therapy AI and he's like, it's not good. But, um, but yeah, that's my thing is, is study it and then cool. figure out how you're going to fit with it because it's not going away. It won't let it go away. Yeah, it won't, it won't, <laughs> it won't. And my, you know, my stepdad's in the newspaper business and, uh, I worry about that. I mean, that's been, that's been an interesting industry for a long time. Hey, I know mm -hmm. you got a role, um, by the way, when I said you can root for your player, not the team, uh, yes. from, I, that's all I was saying is like, I didn't, I don't like the Yankees, but I like Jeter. I mean, yeah, vote for the root for this guy. Uh, but 49ers are done. Seahawks will take the other. <laughs> so you, you don't have to worry about that. We've got them. Handled. I just love that a Camus kid make it the, made it to the NFL. I think that Jack Coletto, I did a whole video on Jack Coletto's ability to break through a defense. Like, if you're thinking, I can't make it through this difficult time, go watch Jack play any game because he is going to bust through every single time because he, he knows he can get two or three yards. Sometimes you're not going to get a touchdown. But if you go through life getting two or three yards when nobody else is, you win. And he got him into the NFL. So there's some serious lessons there as well. I love it. Um, yeah, Camus is, they got some great sports. A lot of kids down there. Hey, I really appreciate it. Ken, you're awesome. Um, I, I, I'm excited I had you on. Uh, I think you provided a lot of great content and uh, just want to say, appreciate coming on. Thanks, man. Derek, it was an absolute pleasure. If you want to do an hour on AI sometime, let me know. All right, brother. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. You too. All right. Thanks, man. <laughs>